0: Back here on one-on-one, New York's longest-running sports call-in show. I'm Andrew Gulotto alongside Brian Raybacks, and we're going to continue our Mets talk with a very special guest, New York Mets beat reporter Rich Catino. How are you doing, Rich? Good. How are you guys
1: doing today? I know it's a college football. Well, big time Saturday, but always good to talk baseball.
0: Oh, yeah, especially with the Mets right now, so much going on in Queens. And in our last segment, we were talking all about Max Scherzer and him coming to the Mets three years, $130 million on that deal. So I wanted to ask you, obviously, this signing means a lot for this Mets current team, but also on a macro level, just what it means for this franchise as a whole. I wanted to ask you kind of this seismic move for Steve Cohen. What does it mean for kind of at a franchise level to make – you know, such a big move to get that alpha Max Scherzer ace.
1: It is a big move. And, and I think when you look at all the moves the Mets made after um, Steve Cohen decided to call out an agent for not handling things <laughs> the right way. Um, and I've gotten to know Steve pretty well over the last year, and he's a guy who wears a heart, his heart on the sleeve. He's gonna He's going to tell you what he means, and he's going to mean what he says. And when you look at it, it's like, almost the Mets made a mega player deal. When you think about Noah Syndergaard's gone, Aaron Loop is gone, Michael Conforto is gone, and likely J.D. Davis is gone and Marcus Stroman is gone, okay? Those five players are gone. And what you've added to the roster is Max Scherzer, an all-star third baseman in Escobar, and two really solid players in Kanye and um, Sterling Marte, who I think is a better center field fit for the Mets than Springer would have been last year. So sometimes the best deals are the ones you don't make. And obviously the Trevor Bauer deal, they didn't get through last year. That turned out to be a blessing in disguise as well. But when you look at a mega deal like that, Mets made a good deal. They gave up some things and they had to give up those things in order to keep in their budget lines And they were going to go one year for Syndergaard. Plus, they had this in. They also got two draft picks out of the deal. When the Mets are in the draft next year, the first 60 picks of the draft, the Mets are going to have like six of them. They're going to have their own first rounder, the one they lost for Rocker, the one they got for Syndergaard, the one they got for Conforto, and their own second-round pick. So, And I think this form system has gotten better in the last 12 months, but I think it's going to get even better there. So. That's part of this deal as well. I know everyone likes to look at the Kelnick move and the canoe trade. You got to wait to see how all these losses the Mets got in guys like Conforto and Syndergaard, how, what they develop into on the you know the draft situation. I'll give you a piece of Met history. When the Mets lost Mike Hampton, do you know who they got with that draft pick that they got for yeah, losing him? David, David David Wright.
0: Wright yeah, wow. that's
1: a pretty good deal, Mike Hampton for David Wright. That's exactly. not too bad. But my point is, the Mets have kind of reshaped the mold of the team and I don't know if they're done yet now I know that we're done because of the lockout but I think when the lockout comes back and I think one of the things that all the media guys missed and I was really head and shoulders on this is he has now developed a great relationship with Scott Boris much like the Nationals owner did with Boris when he was building his team whether it was to sign Worth to re-sign Harper before they lost him the Scherzer signing, all the things that, that they did, the, the you know, all the, all the moves that they made. They were done with Scott Boris' clients, for the most part, dealing directly with the ownership of the Nationals. And I think Steve Cohen saw that, and I think he saw this as an opportunity not only to get Scherzer, which is a great move, but now to firm up a solid one-on-one, straight-line, linear relationship with Scott Boris. And I don't think that should be underestimated in this deal.
2: Yeah, the Scott Boris relationship could certainly be a game changer. I want to talk about the contract that Scherzer was given. It's a three-year, $130 million deal. He's making $43 million a year and has an opt-out out out of his second season. But the $43 million, you know, he's making more money than a couple of entire teams. So (laughs) do do you see it as an overpay for a guy who's going to be 38 next season?
1: I don't see it as an overpay as long as the owner can pay it. (laughs) <laughs> There's no salary cap in this sport. Maybe there will be in the next CBA. Maybe there'll be a salary floor, but Steve Cohen said he was going to come here and he wasn't going to make money an object in not getting a player. We saw it Lindor. Now you can say, you can comment whether the Lindor contract is beneficial to the Mets short term and long term. I think he'll come back and have a super season because his talent is just too good. But, He had a deadline he had to reach with Lindor, and he did. He had a deadline he had to reach Scherzer. From what I understand on the Scherzer negotiations, there was a first offer from the Mets, and Scherzer's camp said not enough. There was a second second (laughs) offer from the Mets, not enough. The third offer came, and that's when they got close to the 43. I don't know if they were exactly at 43. It might have been at 41 or 42 at that point. But then everyone knew that it was kind of moving towards that. And the only reason I bring that up is because he wanted Scherzer and he was going to get him, but it was going to cost him a hefty sum of money. He didn't let that affect the decision from a baseball personnel process. And Sandy Alderson had a lot to do with this, uh, a a big time to do with this too. And what sometimes forget about Sandy Alderson is, you know, his resume was already written before he got to New York. He built the team by spending money with the A's. And then he took a Padre team that had no business making the playoffs with no budget and got them in. And he got the Mets to a World Series. And let me just say, he's the only general manager in this town that's gotten his team in the World Series in the last 11 years, note to Brian Cashman. But not only did he do that, but he did that during a Madoff scandal. He did that during when the team was in a financial mess. Okay? So I only bring that up because – Sandy Alderson, to me, is one of the brilliant minds in the sport. And I think he had a lot to do with, you know, kind of guiding Steve on how to kind of talk to Scott Boris and how to be a poker player a little bit, not throw your hand out there for everyone to see. And I think Sandy Alderson's presence as this organization has been debated whether it's good or bad. I think it's clearly good. Um, and I think that he has become – a very good sounding board for Steve Cohen. And I think Epler's going to become that as he grows into that. And Epler had a lot to do with this too, because he was involved in it as well. But this notion about people not wanting to come to the Mets or New York, and let me just back up a little bit on the Scherzer thing. Let's get this straight right off the bat, because this was reported in the media so incorrectly that Scherzer refused to come to the Mets. Yeah. That wasn't the case at the deadline. I know the Mets gave the Nationals a great offer for Scherzer because they felt they needed a replacement for DeGrom potentially at that point. But the Nationals didn't want to do the trade. And I understand that. They didn't want him to be traded in the division. Turns out they're going to get that anyway, and he's <laughs> going to come and play the Nationals a ton of times the next few years. But my point is they didn't want to make that, they didn't want to serve that tennis ball over the racket to the Mets. And the Mets offered them good, good level prospects and a good deal. Um, and then they went the Dodger route, figuring, well, how often would the Dodgers come in here to Washington? And I think that's a point everyone missed. It's the same point going back in history, how the Mets signed Johan Santana and the Yankees and Red Sox couldn't get him <laughs> in a trade because the Red Sox weren't going to trade him in the division. It was that simple. Now, the Mets made a benefit out of it by getting him a contract extension prior to the trade. But you have to understand that teams aren't going to trade teams in the division. If the Phillies would have come to the Nationals asking for Scherzer, they would have done the same thing with the Phillies. They would have said, you know, you're going to have to give me, you know, you're going to have to give me quality players and all your top prospects. And even then, they weren't going to make that bridge. So I think it's important to note here that – Scherzer never said publicly, I don't want to come to New York. Did he say sometimes he preferred West Coast and he's from the Midwest? Sure. And the thought process was that. The media kind of took that to the next level. But make no mistake about it, that deGrom and Scherzer have already spoken. And this duo not only has a chance to be the best duo in baseball today, they got a chance to be an historic duo in this sport. And A lot of that depends on the help of Jacob DeGrom, and that's a question mark going into the season. But if if they're both healthy, I don't know which one would win the Cy Young, and I don't know if they'd (laughs) be one, two in the Cy Young battling. But I can guarantee you, if they're both healthy and they play, they'll both be in the top five of the Cy Young voting. That I can
0: assure you. I mean, it's just such a – it's really a crazy concept to think about to have those two at the top of your rotation. It's going to be awfully hard to beat, but I think everyone's going to talk talk about Serger, and rightfully so. I think he obviously puts the Mets in a position where they're definitely going to win now, but the Mets also signed three really good position players, Starling Marte, as you said, Escobar, and Canna. Out of those three, which one do you think is going to pay the most dividends for the Mets, not only next season, but over the life of their contracts?
1: I think it's Marte. And the reason I say Marte is because – you can now put an order where you can have Marte and Nimmo at the top of the order, and those guys are on-base percentage fiends.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, there was a stat last year, and this was still through Labor Day, that Brandon Nimmo's on-base percentage when he let off an inning was over 500, okay? And Marte is the guy that's in the high threes, low fours of on-base percentage. So now when Lindor comes up in the first inning, or Alonzo, they're going to have runners on base for the most part. And that wasn't always the case last year because Nimmo was hurt for some part of the season. And Nimmo was the only guy on the top of the order with that high OBP. So now Lindor and Alonzo are going to see that. I think Kanye is going to give them solid defense. And the other thing I like about these three players is they all come from teams that have had a modicum of success. Now, I know the A's haven't won a World Series or anything, but the A's are always with a low payroll, top of their division, playoff team. The Brewers have been a playoff team for the last three seasons, and they get better and better each year. And Escobar was an all-star, and sometimes that gets forgotten in this. this. And then I think that they give the Mets three solid bats that provide depth for the rest of their team. Now, what's the team going to do with second base? I think Escobar's going to play third, but second base could be Jeff McNeil. Or maybe they trade Jeff McNeil to get another guy in the bullpen. Maybe they talk to the Brewers about a McNeil-Dominic Smith trade and say, if you put Josh Hader on the open market, we might be interested in him. Um, maybe the Mets go sign Chris Bryant and put him at third and move Escobar to second and then make McNeil a DH. You know, there's a ton of stuff they can do now that they have the depth on this roster. And I think that's the biggest thing all three bring, but I think Marte is going to be the guy that gives them the most clout, especially in the short term.
2: Yeah. All these signs are going to be huge for the Mets, but you know, the, we know the rotation is absolutely loaded with DeGrom and Max Scherzer at the top, but last year, you know, the DeGrom's health was an issue. You know, he couldn't stay healthy and essentially the whole ship just went down from that point on. So Even with the Scherzer deal, how big is DeGrom's health coming into the 2022 season? How much will that be a factor in the team's success?
1: It's huge because the guys behind DeGrom also have health issues. Carrasco has health issues. So I think that, you know, Taewon Walker had a few minor health issues. He had a really good first half and was an all-star. He had a poor second half. So a lot of that was due to the fact that he hadn't thrown that many amount of innings in, in a couple of years. But I think it's key because... Now, all of a sudden, if DeGrom's not healthy, now you got to push Carrasco to that two spot or Walker to that two spot. And the way the the lineup stands now, I would think that your fourth starter is Walker after Carrasco is your third. And then your fifth starter is probably either McGill or Peterson. But if McGrom's hurt, everyone's got to move up a step. And maybe McGill and Peterson aren't ready to be that fourth or third starter. I always think your fifth starter when you're a playoff bound team should be someone that you're building towards becoming a starter down the road. McGill showed some flashes. And again, he hit a wall at the end of the year too. And Peterson had the injury. So I think DeGrom's health is really key because if he's not healthy, it's going to force people to do things that I don't think the team is really slating them to do right now. And they may pick up another starting pitcher who knows, Um Maybe they, maybe they talk about Rich Hill bringing him back. Maybe there's a whole bunch of other things they'll do. Because I'm not trying not to predict what the Mets will do because a lot of these deals came out of nowhere. Yeah. And I will say that's good for the Mets because prior to Steve Cohen buying the Mets, there were a lot of leaks. And I can tell you there were because I benefited from some of them. <laughs> but Those leaks are all all stopgap now. So when you hear someone talk about what they think is going on inside the Med organization and you want to give them the benefit of the doubt, it's an educated guess. Those leaks are gone. And I think that's a good thing for the organization. It makes our jobs a little tougher, but that's okay. Tough jobs mean challenges, and challenges are good. They test your ability to um, surpass yourself each day.
0: Uh, yeah, for sure. Even that Lindor trade seems like it just came out of nowhere, and they they ended up, you know, uh, pulling off that trade. It seems like there were no other leaks. And I, yeah, I agree. That's definitely something that's really big. But you know, we've been talking a lot about players, but this team's also looking for a manager, which obviously during the lockout they'll definitely look at. I mean, a lot of the seems like a potential list was kind of leaked. I think it was headlined by Buck Schulwalter, former Orioles and Yankees manager, Astros bench coach Joe Espada, Pirates bench ho- coach Don Kelly, and also Rays bench coach Matt. Quattraro are also potential candidates. So do any of those, you know, specific candidates kind of stand out to you early on in this search, or is there another name that kind of, you think would fit really good with this Mets team? I
1: think Brad Ausmus is a name we shouldn't forget about because I think he has a connection with Epler and um, he also, you know, has a connection with Scherzer. Yeah. I I believe he caught Scherzer while he was in the tiger organization. So, um, I know that Curtis Granderson's name came out of nowhere yesterday. I think he's going to be a really good manager someday. I just don't think he's ready to do it now. So I don't think they're going to look at back to Beltron. Um, I don't think that would be a bad move. But I think Showalter's the guy that they would want if the situation is right. But they have to sit down with Showalter because this is an organization now, the Mets, that at least somewhat relies on analytics, although I don't think they're analytic-driven like some other teams are. And Buck Schultz is going to want to have some autonomy. And really, major league managers that are in organizations that are actively driven really are like superintendents of a building. They can't – they're not going to do anything until something goes wrong in the building and they have to fix it. But they're not decision-making on how to build the building or build the game plan at that. So I think Buck's going to sit down with the Mets – when and if they sit down, and he's going to say, do I have the autonomy to override analytics recommendations on a lineup? And I think that's going to be the key, whether the Mets are interested in him and whether he would take the position if they're interested in him. So I think that's something to watch for. Um, But I don't think they're going to rush for the manager's position. I think they're going to use this time in the lockout to kind of, you know, manage the process well and do the vet, all the vetting they need to do that wasn't done when they hired Mickey Calloway. So I think there's a lot of stuff that has to still go on, but if I was a betting man, I would say Buck Showalter at even money to manage this team.
0: Uh, definitely. I think for sure. But New York Mets beat reporter, Rich Catino, Thank you so much, Rich, for joining us. Anytime
1: guys, keep up the great work and I'm going to try to get down to Fordham during the basketball season to see this team and keep up the great work guys. You keep WFUV alive and running. And uh, it's an honor to be on the show with you.